Break Episode 9. I am your host, The Greg Flynn, and we are breaking down all of the hot topics in the professional wrestling world today, here this morning, and there is a lot to talk about on this special Thursday edition of Rope Break, available wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Apple, YouTube's the video version, and of course live normally on Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific on Twitch, and we've been simulcasting over on YouTube. And if you're watching live or if you're going to come check in and say hi to a live show in the future, please do. You're invited. And if you decide to, leave me a comment, ask a question, give me your opinion in the chat during the show, and I'll take a look during the breaks, and we can talk about it because that's what we do here. That's what I like to do. I've established myself a little bit of a, I, I don't even know how to break into this thought. This is a personal thought, but I've established a little bit of a name and a little bit of a reputation on WrestleTalk these past few weeks alongside you, Greasy Rope Break listeners. And it's been super cool to see the clips of this show. Um, well, let's just call it what it is. They're blowing the fuck up and it's the fastest growing, hottest new discussion show in the entire pro wrestling world. And that is this show, Rope Break. It is, it just is, it just is, okay? You can break down the metrics, you can look at it, but the reality is more people are talking about what we're talking about and our opinions have been thrust to the forefront of the pro wrestling scene thanks to the beauty that is social media on TikTok and YouTube. We have a YouTube clip going for 500,000 views right now. And it's so cool to see the, uh, the comment section of these. Me and my wife have been enjoying reading all the comments. Leave comments and uh, be positive. Be kind. You don't have to agree with me, but... Uh, as I squirm about, because this next part makes me uncomfortable. A lot of the comments have been so uh, so aggressive out there. I mean, who knew? Who knew that the internet could be such a vile, disgusting place? If only there was some way I could have known that ahead of time. But hey, and this will be my final note on this, and then we'll break into the wrestling. But if you're out there, greasy rope break listeners, and you're thinking, well, we... We got to stand up for what we believe about AEW. We got to stand up for what we want to see in pro wrestling. At the top of the list of what we want to see in pro wrestling and the world is kindness. So if you're in those comment sections, be kind to each other. Some people don't like to be kind to me, and that's fine and well. There's a lot of weird body shaming out there. There's a lot of weird hate out there in the wrestling comment section that I wasn't totally prepared for, but we're not going to do that the listeners and supporters of this show. Let's keep it positive. Let's keep the vibe strong. And let's keep supporting each other through this strange journey called life and our favorite hobby to get us through it, which is professional wrestling. Okay, enough wandering, enough emotional, enough Greg Flynn in his feels. We got a big show this week and a lot to break down. I want to break down a few of the matches from Crown Jewel. In a few minutes here, I thought that was a fine show. It wasn't like it was groundbreaking or anything. WWE Crown Jewel. And it's so funny, all the people who think I'm nothing but an AEW hater. The first note I took about Crown Jewel as I was watching it was, uh, All Out was better than this. AEW All Out was better than this. And I would dare say the Wrestle Dream was better than this. And it is, I, I don't hate everything about these indie vibes of AEW. It's so interesting. And sometimes it empowers you to put on a big wrestling show and not need as much tighter storylines, et cetera, et cetera, uh, not need title changes, et cetera, et cetera, for things to be hype, for things to be interesting. Whereas WWE ends up relying on some of those things. And then some shows like Crown Jewel can end up boring. It was, a little bit bo- it was a little bit boring. I'll just call it what it is. But we're not quite there yet. We're going to talk about, um, in this first segment, we're going to talk about Crown Jewel. I want to talk about storytelling in pro wrestling and how storytelling works in pro wrestling and how storytelling works in sports 
and how it works in sports entertainment so that way we're all on the same page. And this is going to be the major discussion topic of the show today. So that way we're on the same page when, when I'm talking about wrestling and when I'm talking about storylines, where am I even coming from? What am I even talking about? Because when you talk about stories in pro wrestling, a lot of the AEW fans will come at you and say that all you're talking about is WWE light. And that to me is absolutely insane. If I want any sort of ongoing narrative in a television show, that doesn't mean that I want it to be like other, like that doesn't, like lots of television shows have ongoing narrative structures with major characters and storylines. That's how television shows work. That's how shows work. That's how theater worked before we even invented the TV. That's how pro wrestling worked before it was even on the TV. Is that there was storytelling. And I'll, I'll, I'll even one-up you guys. It's simply a psychological concept and dare I say truth. That we are all always telling ourselves a story at all moments of our life. What is the story you're telling yourself? You listener may be telling yourself a story that it is a cozy, cozy, warm evening inside of your home and it might be raining outside or something. It's the fall. It's getting a little colder and chillier and darker and you're inside and you're telling yourself a story that this cup of coffee you're having is real good and that this this episode of Rope Break is particularly interesting or maybe you're telling yourself a story that it's uninteresting and you need to turn it off so you can get back to work or you're telling yourself a story that the girl in your uh, uh, economics class doesn't like you and thinks you're a loser or you're telling yourself a story uh, that you're going to... This is, this is the truth of existence that we are constantly interfacing with narrative structure and story in our minds. Okay? So you can't escape it. You, 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 you can't throw out truths about humanity <laughs> and call it professional wrestling. That's not how any of this is going to work. We can't throw out truths about humanity in the name of any interest or any hobby or any activity. So the truths about being a human will still apply to professional wrestling, which means the truths about engaging story are simply true. And I want to make the comparison between, and yeah, 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 WWE, Fedhead, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to make the comparison between sports entertainment and sports. So that way we can understand what I mean by story. Okay, because if we're sitting down, if I'm sitting down to watch a football game on a Sunday afternoon, I sit down, when I sit down to watch football, I got two things. I got a coloring book. That's right. I got a fucking coloring book. Okay. I got a lot of really bad ADD. It keeps, it keeps this train moving forward. So I sit down with a bunch of pencils and a coloring book. And I sit down with a bong <laughs> and I turn on that TV and Tony Romo's calling the games and, I, and I'm having a great day, okay? And when my daughter, when my 15-year-old daughter walks into the room, without fail, the first question she's going to ask to just try to connect with me, is this a big game? How do I answer that? How do I answer to a non-fan, is this a big game? Is this a big moment? Does this matter is the core of that question. And why does this matter is the core of this question. So if the Chicago Bears are taking on the Washington Commanders at a noon kickoff game on a Sunday, and NFL fans are with me right now, this is not a big game because of the ongoing stories. We know what the Chicago Bears are doing this season. We know where they're at. We know where their front office views them as at. They are in a rebuilding mode. The Washington Commanders just offloaded a bunch of players. They're in a rebuilding mode. Okay? And fans of these two teams will have critiques about how this rebuilding is going. And they will have opinions despite liking their team. And dare I say... Because they like their team, they are going to form incredibly strong opinions about what these teams should be doing 
during their rebuilding phase. But I'm getting ahead of myself like I always do. Dad, is this a big game? Our original question. Well, I'm answering that based off of their ongoing records. I'm answering that based off of which players are healthy and which players I'm watching to see are going to, okay, it's a Chicago's Bears game. Excuse me. Maybe Justin Fields is going to do something big despite the team not being any good. And now I have a context. These are the stories going into this 12 o'clock kickoff. Before the kickoff even started, there is a story about the fucking Bears taking on the fucking Commanders. And if I'm a fan of football, if I'm a fan of competition, if I'm a fan of high-level competition, if I'm from one of these cities, fuck it. That's their gimmick. They play in a city. Right? That's their wrestling gimmick. So if I'm from one of these seats, there's a variety of ways that the context of the story of these two teams playing can make it big. Whether it's traditionally seen as big or not. Dad, is this a big game? Yeah, it's the Super Bowl. Okay? These teams have been vying for this opportunity for months, years, literally their whole lives. If you think about it, the players in the tournament that they had to win, they even had to qualify for the tournament by being one of the best teams in a brutal 17-game season. There's a fucking story here. We got here somehow. We had to go on our journey learn things, do things, see things, and have experiences in order to make the big one the big one. We need that in our professional wrestling show. This doesn't make it WWE. The, the idea that the USFL and the XFL also keep standings and have announcers and pregame shows doesn't make them NFL light. As we get some subscribers coming in from the YouTube shorts, I should probably turn that off. My apologies. You might end up hearing that a few times throughout the course of the day. And welcome in if any of you are watching live on YouTube, watching live on Twitch. My apologies. That sound totally distracted me. But back on topic, the NFL, the context, the story. And there are people who love watching NFL games and love watching football games. And if you could get 22 halfway decent athletes onto a field, really wouldn't even matter who they are anymore. I would just love football that much. I just love football games that much. Okay, that's fine. There are people for whom that is true. And by all means, turn on the wrestling match and watch the wrestling match. And the match is the match is the match. But I can't believe I'm about to say it. Vince Rousseau was right. When he said, I'm going to paraphrase him, he functionally said something like he and no one should care about the fake fights. That's what he called them, the Garmin a lot of trouble. Nobody cares about the fake fights. I don't care about the fake fights. It's about the stories. In fact, it's one of the quotes about Vince Rousseau that gets tossed around when people are Rousseau hating. And look... Like, I don't know Vince Rousseau, obviously. I've never spoken to Vince Rousseau, obviously. But from my bird's eye view, I feel like some of this hate is probably very deserved. However, this specific line sticks out to me. Because they are fake fights. And fake fights can be super engaging. I play video games. Those are fake fights. Those are not, I'm not actually a terrorist planting a bomb. I'm playing the terrorists in this round of a fake fight in a game called Counter-Strike. So the fact that they're fake fights shouldn't be relevant. It doesn't need to be relevant. If it is relevant to somebody, that person has an issue with their own insecurity about what they enjoy doing with their entertainment time. Okay. To come full circle on the metaphor, wanting a story, wanting a context isn't the same thing as wanting WWE light. And I think AEW agrees with me. I think AEW understands this. We're going to talk about this later in the show, actually. This is a little tease for the end of the show. AEW is doing so many things exactly the way I have been saying for the past month that they need to. And while they're doing it, I, I'll, I'll okay, it's, it's always evolving. Things are always changing. We've opened and walked through this new door. There are more singles matches 
there are more impactful singles matches. There's more storytelling going on, significantly more storytelling going on in a variety of ways. Violent guys doing violent guy things. We got the mask and MJF. We got everyone targeting the champ. So there's a variety of things now going on, stories that are beginning to get interconnected, narratives that are getting jumbled, and they're doing it in a way that could be fun, a fun jumbling. There's potential in all this. This is what I'm just saying. This isn't bad. They're starting to do what me and people like me, people who watch wrestling and watch sports like me, have been begging for them to do for years now, which is get back to their roots. Get back to their roots. The roots were the 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 elite, the hangman page, the epic, huge saga of Kenny Omega. We talk about sports storytelling. The saga of Kenny Omega and Hangman Page that lasted months, a year. I mean, that was long. And that was the that was the foundation of AEW. Storytelling. Drive long-term storytelling. And I remember back then, everyone was going on and on about how AEW is reintroducing, this was the narrative on Twitter, AEW has reintroduced long-term storytelling to pro wrestling, they have beat Vince McMahon at his own game in terms of storytelling, this is incredible. That's what the selling point of AEW was for the first year. It wasn't until after they forgot how to do that that all the AEW fans started standing up for them and saying, this is a dream match company, and it's an indie company, and our millionaire just books the matches, and then the wrestlers, it's a wrestler's company, and the wrestlers just figure out the rest of the wrestlers, the wrestlers, and Tony Khan just has the money. But there were, 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 were never stories in AEW. Yeah, there were. Phenomenal ones, a phenomenal one, and a few good ones around the periphery. I loved the whole show back then. And that's what they lost the plot on, and that's what they're trying to find again. And I wish them luck. I hope they do. There's a little bit of cringe in that effort, but it's relatable to me. In the eFed show that we run, we just had a huge payoff pay-per-view show, and then last night we started a whole new cycle that's going to build up through a Christmas payoff. And so all of our news stories are beginning. So if you're unfamiliar, now's the time to get in on that. But I'm familiar with what it feels like to generate these new stories to get them going and that there's going to be a little jank. There's going to be a little cringe and all that. You got to throw a few things against the wall. See what sticks. Sticks with personalities of your stars, your performers, your show, et cetera, et cetera. But they're doing it. They're starting to actually do the things I want to see on a wrestling show once again. Storytelling. What a novel idea. No pun intended. <laughs> novel story. Hey, wrestling fans, this has been fun. That was actually a little bit longer of a rant than I initially planned it to be. So because of that, we're going to take our first break of the show a little bit early. And when we come back, we're going to talk about WWE Crown Jewel, talk about some of the storytelling going on in WWE, both in the matches and outside of the ring. And then we're going to hop over to AEW and do the same thing over there. It's storytelling. We're telling stories here with Papa Greg Flynn. Here on Rope Break Episode 9. I hope you guys are well. We'll be back after the break. No wrestling fans, we are back. This is Rope Break. Episode 9 available wherever you get your pro wrestling podcast. YouTube or the video version. Apple, Spotify. Uh, Google for the audio versions, and of course live, uh, usually on Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. This is a Thursday. We're going to be live next Thursday as well. We got two Thursdays in a row, and we are still to be determined for Thanksgiving Day. We might go live Thanksgiving Day as well. That's still up in the air, but I appreciate you boys who are here live this morning, and uh, we're transitioning into talking about Crown Jewel. That was a good show, and we got a comment in YouTube chat this morning. Remember, we are simulcast on YouTube and Twitch this morning for Rope Break, and uh, it's a comment about the uh, John Cena match at Crown Jewel, and it, it, it totally hit the nail on the head. I love the comment because it relates to the last segment, talking about storytelling and pro wrestling, and Crown Jewel, I felt, was 
it was a wrestling show and I enjoyed it and I watched it and then that's that. And like if that's the worst that a company or a promotion is doing, I'm super happy. Like I'm not trying to hate on all this. But actually, and I didn't even really think about this until I go on this rant about storytelling. This is why you guys need to come to the podcast live. And then we get a comment about that John Cena solo Sokoa match because he sold me on caring about it. John Cena, 46 years old, limited athletically, completely sold me on giving a fuck about that match in the lead up to it. He comes out on SmackDown the weeks prior. Rye always get it mixed up. I think it was SmackDown. And he talks about how it's been 1,002 million days since he's won a singles match or whatever. And that he's got this amazing connection with the wrestling fans. And that if he doesn't perform... If he isn't himself, if he isn't John fucking Cena, then is he going to lose that connection and it's time for him to go out and get a big win and prove he's still got it and prove he can still do it. And then there comes Solo Sokoa from the bloodline. We have our heel in place. I'm getting goosebumps. It's simple, you guys. It's not hard and it's not complicated. It just requires love and attention to detail. Oh, that's what always gets me about AEW, man. I'm watching matches. I feel like attention to detail isn't over there, always there. And I'm watching the uh, ongoing stories that I feel like attention to detail isn't always there. And John Cena brought the attention to detail. Oh, that match was so good because of the build. Then they can just go out there. They can do their babyface comeback and Cena loses that match. And now we're all like crestfallen that our beloved baby face didn't come through for us that shit is so simple because what do you because what do you actually because what is the conversation actually about conversation is about a 46 year old man doing a few wrestling moves you've seen him do a million fucking times again (laughs) and making you care about that how how do we get you to care about that I would do I would do all the moves again. <laughs> I'm gonna run out into the ring. We're gonna play the same music we've played for 20 years. I'm gonna do all the moves again. But I'm gonna get you to give a fuck. I'm gonna make it real for me. I'm gonna look right into the camera and I'm gonna play to my mortality. I'm gonna play to my aging. Cause we're getting old and these alerts are still going off. My apologies. But I'm getting older and I'm aging. So how do we get you? To give a fuck about some old guy, some old pasty, pale, balding guy doing the same damn moves he's done a million times in another wrestling ring. One more run out for old Cena. Let's go. Got to get this big win. And then he doesn't. And then nobody gives a shit, truly. Like, because <laughs> it's John Cena. Like, it was so well done. That was a great match. Some of the other matches, as I go over to my notes from crown jewel i mean it was an okay that's the thing it was an okay match but i was able to suspend my disbelief behind an idea that it mattered right that use the bears commander's metaphor man when that gets down to brass tacks and it's 17 to 10 in the fourth quarter i'm probably i'm probably napping i'm probably falling asleep right 17 10 low scoring game hasn't been a lot of action same thing in Cena Sokoa, right? Cena's limited, right? Sokoa wrestles a certain style, right? So that game was 17 to 10 too. But because it's who it is and because they're telling the story that they're telling with it, I'm not falling asleep and napping. I'm waiting to see who's going to come home with the win on that. That's such a great example of fucking storytelling. And really, I'm just, I just, through this whole process, I think Cena, I'm not a big Cena fan, but just thinking about it in this podcast this morning, Cena has climbed like entire tiers. Like he was really good in my mind. And he's like transitioning into great in my mind as I just think about how long he's been pulling off this stunt of getting me to care about pro wrestling matches. Like it, it's just insanely impressive. I don't, I don't jump onto the greatest of all time stuff with John Cena, nor do I need to. That's not a critique. Uh, the uh, Universal Championship match, the champion Roman Reigns defending against LA Knight. This really struggled to keep my attention. Um, and like I said, to be honest, a lot of the show really struggled to keep my attention. We're going to kind of speed through Crown Jewel. Again, I think it was one of the worst PLEs in a while. 
just in terms of payoff energy. Like, I didn't feel like there was very likely to be a lot of hype behind this. Nobody thinks LA Knight's beating uh, Roman Reigns on the other side of the world, right? Like, this just is not happening in this moment. So then the question becomes, well, how is Roman Reigns going to win? And then he cheats again, and now we hate him even more, and... You know, there's an opportunity there for Reigns to beat L.A. Knight clean, I thought. And maybe <clears throat> L.A. Knight evaluates some things as an athlete, and that becomes his story. And he goes in, uh, to his next challenge. And Roman Reigns can finally just look like, I don't want to say finally look like he's also a good wrestler on top of a manipulative fucking tribal chief or whatever he he's both those things he's presented well and being both those things but it was just like a push in a direction that they could have gone I was kind of watching I, I don't know they they go the way that they go I I just don't have as much doubt in my heart for WWE I feel like they pick directions at least with intent and so they pick this direction to have him cheat once again I feel like it's being done with intent even if it is a little underwhelming and when I say that what I mean is we're going to go somewhere even if it's just getting me to fucking hate Roman Reigns as much as fucking possible that's a place we can go to because we'll go a place after that presumably Cody Rhodes WrestleMania 40 it's going to be fucking amazing uh, the one of the other matches at Crown Jewel was Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre. The big story of that is Damian Priest running out with the Money in the Bank briefcase, and I was pretty hyped. I, I when he ran out there, I was like, "This this card is what it is." Like we already kind of know that, so this would be a really interesting moment. And you know, Sami Zayn takes it and ends up just being a tease. But I'm getting more and more convinced as we see. Judgment Day get more and more successful. Like I've been, it seems like every week on the podcast, I'm just like Judgment Day is too fucking good. Like they're just killing it. They're cheeky. They're cute. They're mean and thuggish. Like they they have range with these performers, and they're all great in the ring. They're just fucking killing it right now. Um, but uh, I get emotional. I get emotional thinking about guys and girls like really. Just killing it at this time of the calendar and carrying a company like WWE because it's super cool and, and it really speaks to the long futures that those guys can have, et cetera, et cetera. And, and here's where I'm going with this before I got kind of emotional weirdly about it was that I'm getting more and more convinced that they're going to pull the trigger on Damian Priest with this money in the bank thing, that he is going to bring home, I don't, how do you word this? One of their main event titles. Like, they have mid-card titles, right? And now we have two and a half, three, two main event titles. we got the World Heavyweight with Seth Rollins, and then we have uh, Roman Reigns unifying the other two right now. I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what technically they're labeling all this as anymore. But what I'm getting at is I see Damian Priest be, being the one, potentially, who beats Seth Rollins. And, I'll, and, and I, I've been wanting to frame what I'm about to say in a cute way for a while. I thought I could turn it into a segment or something. But I'm just going to make the prediction here and now. This is what I think could happen. This Okay, here we go. I'm going to go full fucking prediction for you guys here. It's just an interesting little tangent. And then we'll go back, talk about the last couple matches from Crown Jewel here. But what if, what if... Damian Priest cashes in, I don't know, Survivor Series or whatever. Could he do it? They're going to do for that. I don't know. He cashes in whatever, and he's able to beat Seth Rollins. Well, here's what I'm thinking. WrestleMania 40, Roman Reigns actually fights dun, 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 The Rock for the WWE Universal Championship. This accomplishes two things. One, all of us marks are just totally freaked out that The Rock is in the main event of WrestleMania 40. It's WrestleMania 40. It's a round number. They're going to be paying homage to the history of WWE at that show. I guarantee it. And the history of The Rock is such a perfect uh, spot for Roman Reigns to get over on The Rock in this context. So here's my prediction. Cody Rhodes defeats Damian Priest around WrestleMania 40, maybe even at it, for the heavyweight championship. Roman Reigns defeats The Rock, which means at WrestleMania 41, 
one year later, when Roman Reigns has officially shattered every longevity record there is, Cody Rhodes is able to unify, ooh, all three main event belts, ooh, by finally finishing the story, ooh, and defeating Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania 41. Unifying all three belts, finishing his dad's story. There's officially no more question marks. He's won them all. He is the champion at that time, Cody Rhodes. And that is a lot of equity. That's what I call it in our EFED. That's a fuck ton of equity that Roman Reigns has built up, then being transferred into Cody Rhodes. Can you imagine that narrative arc? I bet that that is one of their potential roadmaps based off of contracts and money and uh, Hollywood megastars like The Rock. And there are factors in all that. However... I fucking guarantee you that somewhere there's a fucking Google Doc Word Doc on some on Triple Paul's computer that that has that exact proposal lined out. Uh, that's my prediction. That's Flynn the Force here, right? There. Okay, I gotta get back on topic. I've wanted to share that idea on the podcast for like a month, and I just keep postponing it. But I think it could potentially shake out that way. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at the matches. The last match we'll look at, and then we'll take our last break, and then we'll go into our last segment where we will wrap up talking about AEW. We're going to talk about the mask. Who is the masked man attacking MJF? Uh, Samoa Joe gunning for MJF. Wardlow gunning for MJF. I'm going to talk about that story arc they're building around the champ there. And I want to talk a little bit in the final segment about how MJF even is doing what this title reign has been like for him. Has it delivered? We're one year in. We can start grading this thing. Has he delivered? But we're going to do that after our next break. Last match at Crown Jewel was uh, my personal favorite results-wise. My boy Logan Paul brought home the U.S. title against Rey Mysterio. I totally called it like two weeks early. Uh, I think a lot of people could have because, like they were even saying during the match, Logan Paul bringing the U.S. title around. Uh, the belt that John Cena has won, right? Like, this this is a mid-card belt that has a little bit of history. has a little bit of pop. And now Logan Paul can bring it on his podcast. He can bring it on to other podcasts. And I just think Logan Paul's great. I, I, I think he's great. I, I don't see where any ill will could or would be coming from in the wrestling community towards Logan Paul. Except... What I would call an outdated worldview where wrestlers and then by extension wrestling fans all just see this sort of incestuous little community that we have. And, and this is very common in wrestling. And then when you have somebody from outside of wrestling, quote, whatever the fuck that even means, like this is just an activity in a television show and, and, uh, and it, they do it locally. Like there's just a fucking like... But whenever somebody comes in from outside of wrestling, uh, that person immediately gets a ton of heat for trying to, you know, make a quick buck or trying to capitalize on some popularity or, you know, a lot of superficial vain accusations often get levied their direction, right? <laughs> it was literally the storyline, if you're not familiar, to WrestleMania 1. Uh, the main event of that was Hulk Hogan and Mr. T against Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Rowdy Roddy Piper in a tag team match. That was the main event of WrestleMania 1. And the plot was, by and large, Rowdy Roddy Piper um, thinking that Mr. T did not belong in a wrestling ring and that he was the chump, fool. <laughs> that was my Mr. T impression. Uh, and, th like, that, that was the plot. So th this, this is... It was ancient then. It was ancient then in 1985. It's ancient now. Like, this idea that an amazing athlete with drawing power somehow wouldn't be welcome into the wrestling scene, into the wrestling community. That to me is so stupid. And any Mark, I say that endearing, like, like, like a fan, like any Mark who is parroting that, trying to sound like they're on the end of the wrestling community too. Like guys, there's nothing to be in, uh, like no gatekeeping. Yo, we can have opinions and we can point out that other people's opinions are a little bit stupider than they are, than ours, excuse me, because they are. <laughs> but we don't, we, we don't need to go as hard as gatekeeping with this whole thing. And that's how I feel about Logan Paul. I feel like a lot of the energy, 
against him is just gatekeeping, and that's why Triple Paul has him come in as a heel because it's just too obvious, it's just too easy, and the money prints itself at that point. Like We already have some infrastructure culturally that would cause us to not like Logan Paul. So now he's just in the door. And then, oh, by the way, he's an amazing athlete, and he's having these cool matches with people like Rey Mysterio. There were times in that match when I noticed the pacing and I noticed Logan Paul looking a little lost. Like, what do we do next, Daddy Ray? Like, there's a little bit of energy at that at times. It was a great match. It was a great match. And I was happy that Logan Paul won it. And I'm happy he's the U.S. champion. And, uh, oh, oh, here's the last, and I've made this prediction before. Here's the last Flynn the Forcier magical prediction fantasy booking. We take a break, we talk about AEW, and then we move on with our lives, greasy wrestling fans. But my last take is that LA Knight defeats Logan Paul for that US title. Perhaps at WrestleMania 40. This is Rope Break, you greasy wrestling fans. We're going to take one final break and return for our final segment. Wrestling fans, we are back with our final segment of episode 9 of Rope Break, the hottest new podcast in all of professional wrestling fandom. I have been called a mark more times than I can count on social media with the clips of this show, and I am proud to be doing a Mark podcast because I fucking love pro wrestling. I love it's an amazing platform for fun stories intersecting with fun athleticism. So I am proud to be sitting here as a Mark. This is not a badge of shame. This is a badge of honor. A badge of shame would be like would be like this the the seven the seven granola bar wrappers of the chocolate kind granola bars that I eat when I get super high before bedtime and I'll like get the, get the munchies and I start working on those chocolate granola bars and there's like seven of the wrappers on top of me while I'm laying in bed and I got a little chocolate on my face. That is a mark of shame, but wrestling markdom is a mark of pride. I don't know. I totally lost the plot on this <laughs> rant. I appreciate you boys being here for it though. Hey. Let's talk about AEW. I'm looking into my notes right here about AEW, and they've done the obvious. They've done the simple. They've done really kind of what I would have probably recommended if they brought me into their front door and they were like, "Greg, how do we how do we kickstart some story here? And and where do we kickstart it? And and what's the story going to be? The what's the story going to be doesn't matter, you guys. Like." That's the weird part about this. You just have to love, like the person telling it has to love it and love telling stories and love attention to detail. And the rest is going to take care of itself when you talk about the what of the story, if those things are in place, they really will. So where are we going to start doing this? And they start doing it around the world champion, MJF. So now the ongoing narrative, if you watch the show, is that everyone's gunning for the champ. Okay. Great baby's first baby's first sports story. Everyone wants to be champion. Okay, okay, fine. Okay, F- it doesn't matter. Tell it with love. Tell it with attention to detail. I, like I'm not like tell it. Tell your story, AEW. And so the way they're telling this story now is with MJF. He's had this mask, right, that he has worn at a variety of shows and his entrances. It's his devil mask. You're not on the level of the devil. He brusts out the devil mask when he means fucking business in some of his pay-per-view shows. And all of a sudden, the devil mask has been stolen. And these masked men, including the devil mask himself, have been running around the backstage of AEW and attacking all of MJF's allies. So the million-dollar question is, who is this son of a bitch? And the answer's huge. The answer is huge. The answer has to be huge. The answer is huge, by definition. Because what they've done is, they, they, they've given us a mystery. They've given us a cliffhanger. And we are one year into this motherfucker. MJF, if I'm not mistaken, as the moment I am saying this has been, has I nearly said president. He's been president of the United States. He's been world champion of AEW for 355 days. If I'm not mistaken, as of this moment, it's around there. We're at one year. It's time to transition into opponents that can beat him. 
that I, as a mark, in my mind, feel I can beat him. As a smart mark, as somebody who knows MJF is new to the company, getting his new to the continent. As somebody who knows that Jay White, for all that I love about watching Jay White on a wrestling show, is new to the fucking continent, I suspect he will not be winning at full gear. And we already have this mass storyline going on that seems to be saying, well, okay, you're so smart. What's going on behind the mask? I don't actually know, AEW. Congratulations, I don't know, and now I'm interested. And that's why it is so fucking impactful on who's going to be under that mask. Obviously, the cool answer would be CM Punk. I, I have no need to speculate on this on a personal level, just because, you know, everyone, you can go listen to old podcasts who want to know what I think about CM Punk. There's money to be made there. He's another wrestler. They're all divas. They're all arrogant. Like, so whatever. Like, I, like, but the thing is, it's got to be somebody that could potentially defeat MJF from a smart marks perspective. It's got to be a final. And that was my critique with this Kenny Omega thing. Kenny's a guy who we, if we watch an AEW, we think can beat MJF. Like, if you've been watching since the beginning, Kenny's supposed to be eventually, like, a four-time champion, right? Like, you don't have to be, but, like, you talk about potential accolades or, you know, the belt is a prop, right? <laughs> but On a television show. But when you talk about potential accolades or whatever, four, five, ten years down the road, that would be, like, that would sound normal, right? Like, so, so Kenny's somebody who's supposed to be in this main event picture, all the time, functionally. Like, he'll have story arcs. And they buried that match. And I already talked about that match on the last episode, if you want to hear my thoughts. But one thing I forgot to point out about that match was you're going to limit how many people talk about it. Like, one of the biggest draws and advertising tools you have in show business is word of mouth is putting on a great show and some motherfucker going you know about this that's what AEW needs right now if we're gonna bury our best wrestlers like two of the top four or five in the entire company MJF Kenny Omega having a singles match for the world championship and we're going to put in our lowest rated show. It's not Rampage, but like like our lowest rated show. And we're going to put it in this spot to boost ratings, to try to give us a jolt. One of the unintended consequences of that is that nobody, if nobody saw it, nobody's talking about it at the water cooler the next day at work. Nobody's telling their classmates about it at school the next day because it was. In a spot where people wouldn't see it. Because it wasn't given... And part of that isn't even the show. It's not that it was collision. It's that it was collision with three days notice. Like, okay, do it on collision with a month's notice. With a build. And with a build where it's like Kenny could actually win. And we're going to have our first ever collision title exchange. Like, this is a thing. And now, we all fucking go. Like, I, I'm not even saying it has to be pay-per-view. But do it in a spot where people can actually tell their friends about it because they actually saw it. Like, it's like they want only the diehards to know that this is even going on or something. I know that's not their goal, but man, that raises some questions. Okay, back on to the champ. How has this title reign been and who's going to be under the mask? I, I think this title reign has been so underwhelming. And I was just talking to my wife about this. We were watching a little Dynamite before I started the podcast. I give them like a B minus for like the last few months because, I mean, I, I, the babyface switch, that's another thing you can start beginning to evaluate at this stage. Did it work? Was it the right call? I, like, I think it's an okay call. I think they're building up Samoa Joe to be a monster heel. And, like, there, there, there seems to be intent to, you know, I was talking about WWE. So whether it's right or wrong for Max to work, work babyface heel can start to become a little irrelevant. What makes it a good choice is intent and attention to detail and loving the choice from the people who are making it. And you can kind of see a little bit of that. Like, the R scumbag thing, it's gone a little bit over. We have this mass man, right? We have Jay White as a heel right now for the upcoming pay-per-view. So there's things about that that are working. 
But man, there's just things about it that are not. And oh my God, I, I, at the top of the list, like, I, am I going to expose some level of ignorance here? Like, who the fuck is Roderick Strong? Like, why has, like, okay, we're talking about, like, I'm critical of AEW's young guys. We're talking about a generational talent for real now. MJF, this guy's good. Like, w- we have wasted a huge amount of his title reign keeping an injured Adam Cole in our minds who cannot perform. He's literally appearing on camera, not looking great, look, and literally saying, like, I'm not doing great, Max. Like, and I don't want to, like, every, like, you probably get pretty blue when you're fucking rehabbing an injury instead of on TV doing what you love to do. Like, I'm not hating on Adam Cole. I'm just saying, like, that was the opener a couple weeks ago to Dynamite. Hold on, I'm going to call up my sad friend. And then after I call up and talk to my sad friend, this other guy in a wheelchair is going to come out and scream, not at even me, but at my sad friend, Adam. So now Adam's bummed, and we wheel out uh, Roderick Strong to try to get over with the same fucking comedic bit that he's been doing for what feels like forever. It grinds my gears when I hear my wife go, Adam, I think she just does it to bother me. She's like, Adam, I'm like, yeah, 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 the Adam thing. It's, it's so funny. I laugh so hard every, t- every time Roderick Strong wheels his ass out there with his little bro buddies and his little neck brace, and he's checked into another hospital in a new city, and he screams, Adam, oh, I laugh. I laugh so hard. I can't just laugh myself out of my shoes with how fucking funny it is. Why the fuck? Is it so important for Roderick Strong to get over? Who is this guy? Like, wh- why does this matter? Like, wh- why, does, wh- why does he have to get over as a comedian? What, like, why isn't he wrestling if he's trying to get over? If we're trying to get Roderick... And, and so last night's show, he turns to the camera in his little stupid wheelchair, and he's like, it's time for me to remind all of you who I really am. Yeah, man, that would have been useful a while ago. <laughs> you should have mentioned who you are when you first came on the TV show. Because I just turned on the show one day and you were in a neck brace screaming at Adam for like what felt like half a year, for what felt like six straight months. And you were doing it during all of the world champion segments. So the so the title raid, so the this is what I'm getting at. The most noteworthy story of the MJF title reign is that Roderick Strong giggles at seventh grade level humor and really feels and he and tony khan and the rest of the boys at creative feel very strongly that this level of humor (laughs) is what's gonna get over with the wrestling fans what the fuck is this shit this is so bad he's wrestled like one match roderick strong the one against samoa joe in that tournament And I remember that being a fine match where Samoa Joe tossed him around Samoa Joe style. Like there's nothing, there's nothing sticking out in that. There's nothing sticking out in any of this Roderick Strong shit. Is it going to be Roderick under the mask? Is Roderick going to challenge for the world title? Am I going to have to fucking muster up thinking that, how the fuck am I going to get myself to think for a second that he's going to beat MJF? We're a year into this thing. We're a year into this thing, and we are burying Kenny Omega. Kenny by God Omega versus MJF. We are burying that shit with three days notice on Saturday night shows that people aren't watching. But Roderick Strong and MJF, that dynamic, we feel like we really need to tease out all of the subtle detail and nuance behind the way Roderick Strong yells at him while MJF happens to be in the room. That's our world champion. And the story is he is in the room <laughs> while Roderick Strong tries to be funny and tell Adam that he can't trust MJF. And that may go somewhere, too. Like, that, that seems to be the core actual story, that you can't trust MJF, and MJF will probably prove him right one day. Who cares? This is so garbage. This is so garbage. Throw out Adam Cole from the storylines. Get, get well fast, Adam. We need you. We love you. We need you. Get well fast. In the meantime, get the fuck off the TV show. Get Roderick the fuck off the TV show. 
and start putting MJF on camera. Quit thinking that if you put MJF on camera with somebody, that somebody is now a star. And start accepting that MJF is still just 27. And does have things to learn, as he has been open about saying lately. And put him on screen in ongoing feuds with guys who have been there and done it all over the world. Kenny by God Omega. Have him feud with somebody where I feel like this can go any direction. Swerve Strickland. I've been calling for that for I don't like the home invasion thing. That thing was fucking cringy and stupid. But beyond that, Swerve Strickland is evil. He's a good wrestler. He's charismatic. Like, there are options here. We got to start transitioning into a more believable opponent for MJF. We got to build believable opponents for MJF. The way we do that, I say it every week, is through more singles wrestling, more emphasis on competitive environment, competitive vibes, that this is a league, that this is a promotion where some sort of entity, okay, wins and losses are where they're at with AEW. But some sort of entity is keeping track of who is deserving and who is not and who is successful and who is not. That these matches matter. Got to get me there, AW. And this mask is going to be huge. I think that if this mask flops and Tony Khan keeps being Tony Khan and let's assume the worst and they fold in two or three years, you're going to be talking about this mask in 20 years. There's going to be YouTube videos breaking down the the terrible decision behind the mask and how it was the beginning of the end. Or it could go the other way, wrestling fans. It could be CM Punk or, or it could be really anyone, as long as it's done with gusto and done right. It could be anyone behind that mask, and it could be the first of a variety of interesting stories that have cliffhangers and hooks that cause a stupid mark like me and like you to come back week after week And with that in mind, wrestling fans, I'm going to close on that note and invite you to come back week after week. Next Wednesday, we have an episode of Wrestling Wednesday, the E-Fed. You can see the highlights of our old episodes. And go check out the highlights of Lucha de los Muertos, our last big pay-per-view. It is embedded right on the homepage of wetmeatwrestling.com. Go check it out. It was a fucking amazing show where we got a new world champion. You'll see where some of my passion for storytelling comes from and where I get... It's my outlet for that passion, too. So you're going to see the outlet for my passion for creative storytelling, me and some of my friends. And then, of course, we'll be back with Rope Break Episode 10 one week from today at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Come join the live show. I appreciate you boys who joined me today. We had some comments, some questions that spurred great discussion today. So Rope Break, we're flying this unicorn straight into the sun, and we're punching God right in the nose. Have a great West of your week, west of your week, wrestling fans. Body freak,